It's Monday, December 14th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The Pfizer vaccine is being shipped out now to all the states and will start being administered immediately as we mark another turn in the pandemic. Despite President Trump's record on handling the coronavirus, Operation Warp Speed has been a success in getting a vaccine approved in less than a year. In other news, after suffering another loss in court, it seems that the president is all out of options to overturn the election. The Electoral College is meeting today to formally cast votes for Joe Biden, sealing his victory over Trump. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for all this, plus how the Hunter Biden investigation could influence the president-elect's decision on an attorney general. Next, according to a new report, Havana syndrome was most likely caused by a pulsed microwave energy attack. Havana syndrome dates back to 2016, when American and Canadian diplomats in Cuba started suffering from mysterious neurological symptoms, such as pressure in the head, dizziness, and visual distortions after hearing loud sounds. Back in 2018, some reports said that Russia could have been a suspect in this, but the recent report does not name who is responsible or if the energy waves were intentionally directed at diplomats. Josh Letterman, national political reporter at NBC News, joins us for what caused Havana syndrome. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I'm most hopeful that we follow the science, we receive the vaccine, and while we're waiting for its a total application that we're all safe this holiday season. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. We got some great news in the whole progression of this pandemic. The approval, all the approvals have gone through now for the Pfizer vaccine. It's being shipped out. It's hitting states today. I think the expectation is that they're going to deliver 2.9 million doses this week. This is all going to be via UPS and FedEx. And, uh, you know, just speaking of the president's accomplishments and, and his handling of the pandemic it's been uneasy at best let's say but with regards to operation warp speed this is a success a success a vaccine that's highly effective in under a year and it's already being rolled out that's right we're really at sort of a historic moment in this historic pandemic which is that within the next few days needles will be in arms people will be receiving the vaccine the fda the cdc gave all the sign-offs and President Trump likes to tout how quickly this happened. You know, if you look in the history of the world or the history of the United States, how long a vaccine would take to get approved, it would be much longer. And obviously us and the rest of the world has moved much more quickly than we would in a non-emergency time. And while I know for me and so many people, it feels like it's been eons we've been stuck in this pandemic, really record speed to get a vaccine out yeah. and start administering it to people. Yeah, and now the next big step is for the states and the governors to roll this out the right way. You know, Operation Warp Speed only takes it so far. It only takes it to the states. And from there, the states have to do it right. And then beyond that, you know, we, we have a, a messaging problem right now with the vaccine. And, and uh, we need people to gain trust in it and to want to take it. I, I have no doubt that all the doses will be sent out and, every, and administered. But there is some hesitation on a lot of Americans' part on this. I think you're right. I think we're going to see an organized effort, particularly by the governors, to sort of calm that worry among people and to build confidence that it is safe. I think we're going to be seeing governors themselves rolling up their sleeves to show their states that it's safe. 
several of the living presidents, former presidents have volunteered to take it on camera. President Bush, President Clinton, President Obama, all three have said they will do so in a public way so people can see them receiving the vaccine. And I think we're going to have a real shaky kind of moment here on distribution where we're all going to be watching how this goes, not because of the safety of the vaccine, but because, as you said, Operation Warp Speed, this is the end of the line for it. And now it's in the hands of the states and the federal government under Trump has not really sort of run the distribution process beyond this. They've left it to the states. It's a criticism we've already started to hear that the states don't have enough money or resources to distribute this. And so we're going to see you know, more than 50 different organizations, basically each trying to do this on their own. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's not the same across all 50 states and if that leads to confusion. But we have to hope the American people understand people are trying to do the best they can. They're trying to get it out there. And the fact that one state does it differently than another doesn't speak to the safety or the efficacy of the vaccine. Right, exactly. So we're just hoping for a speedy rollout and very effective on all parts. I wanted to move on a little bit on to The transfer of power, Joe Biden is coming in. President Donald Trump will be on his way out pretty soon. The Electoral College is meeting today to seal the the victory for Joe Biden. Nobody really expects anything crazy to happen. Uh, There's always a possibility, I guess. But, uh, you know, the Electoral College will, will seal the win for Joe Biden. This comes after the Supreme Court rejected President Trump's last big effort, uh, he called it the big one uh, in his legal lawsuit, this one coming out of Texas, that was backed by several red states, the majority of the House Republicans, but the Supreme Court just was not hearing it. That's right. Normally, you know, we would not care very much about the Electoral College meeting today. (laughs) It's always kind of a perfunctory move. But given all of this, you talk about that lawsuit that the president's allies filed from Texas against states that had not voted for him. The Supreme Court refusing to really even acknowledge it, saying that it was going nowhere, have rejected it on Friday. So the Electoral College will meet today. They don't all come to Washington and have a big meeting. Uh, They meet individually in each of their states. We have a great explainer from one of our reporters at NBCNews.com sort of breaking it down since this isn't something we normally pay much attention to, but a great look at how this works. And so in each state, the electors will meet. And it is possible that we'll have what we call faithless electors, electors that vote not for the person who their state chose that it happened four years ago. We had two electors defect from Hillary Clinton, and I think one maybe from Donald Trump, and vote for other people. The courts have sort of said that you can't do that, so they could try. But I think at the end of the day, really what we're going to see is just a rubber stamp, a seal of what we already know has happened, which is that Joe Biden has been elected to be America's next president. I also wanted to talk a little bit about Hunter Biden. We're going to see a lot more of this coming out. Federal officials in Delaware are investigating his taxes. Uh, We learned about this this past week. Some of this has to do with income he didn't disclose from the Ukrainian gas company Burisma, business dealings in China. This is an investigation that started in 2018. And again, the president railing against Attorney General Bill Barr for not bringing this more to light before the election happened. Reporters, our reporters are hearing that Bill Barr very much wanted to make sure that the Department of Justice followed the rules. And the rules say you don't 
unroll or announce investigations into people who are part of an election in the weeks or even months before the election. There was a lot of criticism that that role was broken in 2016 and that it might have influenced the race in some way. And so we saw Attorney General Barr making sure that he wasn't breaking those rules and they were abiding by the guidelines that justice has. And so he didn't go public with this investigation into Hunter Biden, but it does explain some of the tweets we saw from President Trump during that time that he thought that there was more to uh, Hunter and that the public should know. He might have been aware of this investigation and had wanted Barr to be public about it then and, and now unhappy that he wasn't. But I'm not sure how many votes it would have won him or how many votes it would have lost Joe Biden. We'll never know. But those are the rules that justice has. And and we're going to see this continue to unfold. And I think that it's probably weighing on Biden as he makes one of his last cabinet appointments, big cabinet appointments that we haven't heard yet, which is the attorney general, the person who will oversee these investigations once they take over. Biden has insisted that the attorney general should be neutral, that they should not be influenced by the president and that his will be neutral. And so who he picks will be an interesting choice there, given all of these new details. Finally, briefly, I just wanted to ask there at NBC.com, your colleagues wrote up an article about Senator Kamala Harris and her and her seat or vice president-elect Kamala Harris and who's going to be taking over, you know, uh, California politics is becoming a lot more prominent right now that Joe Biden is is taking power. And, and the big question is, who's going to take that seat? That's right. There's a there's about four people that we understand to be on the short list. Two members of Congress, two black women, Karen Bass, Barbara Lee, and then uh, Padilla, who's the current secretary of state in California, considered the front runner, picked up the endorsement of Dianne Feinstein, the other senator, and then a bit of a dark horse, the mayor of Long Beach, his uh, name is Garcia, and he's sort of an interesting story. An immigrant, uh, a man in his 40s, a gay man, uh, lost his mother and his stepfather to COVID-19 this summer. Uh, has been quite a big advocate for making sure that the right restrictions and, and efforts are being done to fight the disease. Unlikely, but still on the short list and still someone I would be watching if you're, if you're betting on a dark horse for that, that selection, which <laughs> will come in January. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We heard a very high-pitched sound in Catherine's bedroom, and we heard a very low pulsing sound in the living room. Our heads would pulse. Um, You would feel like you would want to regurgitate. Um, you could become instantly paralyzed, instantaneously uh, fatigued. Joining us now is Josh Letterman, national political reporter at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Great to be with you. wanted to talk about one of the most curious things that's kind of fascinated me now for four years, it seems like now, now that I was reading your article, Havana Syndrome. This started in 2016, where there was American and Canadian diplomats in Havana, Cuba, And they reported hearing some loud noises and then suffering some psychological effects, uh, brain injuries. It was all very mysterious. Nobody really knew what it was. There was a report out now that says that these mysterious neurological symptoms experienced by these diplomats are consistent with the effects of a directed microwave energy attack. The report doesn't say definitively who might have done this or anything, but this is kind of what people had long believed what was going on. So, Josh, tell us a little bit about this report on Havana syndrome. The incidents actually started in 2016, right as the Obama administration was preparing to leave office. But it didn't come out publicly into 2017. And a lot of the initial speculation 
because of the fact that a lot of these diplomats, spies, and other U.S. government employees had heard these loud ringing noises accompanying the symptoms that they had, the speculation was that it might have been some type of a sonic weapon, some type of an audio wave that was causing this damage. But as we and others started looking into that, that theory was fairly quickly disproven. And another theory that emerged fairly early on in 2017 was the possibility of some type of electromagnetic frequency, which includes things like the waves that are used in your microwave to heat up your food, uh, radio frequencies that carry sounds to your radio, and other types of waves, including light, for instance, and lasers. And for the last couple of years, it's basically been a dead end as far as the invasion. We know the FBI, the CIA, the military and others have investigated have concrete, hard evidence on the ground. But now, in the absence of any answer to that, the State Department commissioned this research report from the National Academies of Science, who have been working on for months. And their conclusion, uh, while they cannot definitively say what is causing these injuries, they do believe that the most likely cause is some type of a pulsed electromagnetic signal, such as microwaves. Now, pulsed means that instead of it being a consistent, even signal, that it was really, really, really quick, fractions of a second, bursts of energy. And the reason that that may be at play is that there's something called the Frey effect that's actually been studied for decades where if you use really tiny little bursts of energy, it can create tiny momentary changes in the fluids in your brain that can then be perceived by your ears as sound, even though it's actually not sound. It's it's a microwave. And that's one of the reasons that they think that this is the most likely thing that happened to the diplomats. But as you pointed out, that still doesn't answer the key question of who or what might have been behind it. And even those, as you mentioned, maybe mimicking the sounds, right? It makes your brain think that they're sounds. The diplomats that were targeted or affected by this had long-term effects in some cases. Not all of them, but some of them did. They said that it was consistent with brain trauma, things like that. They heard the loud noises. They had pressure in their head, dizziness, visual disturbances, all of this stuff. I think even till this day, some of them still experience some type of actions like that. And it wasn't just... In Cuba, this happened in China. It happened in Europe and other instances. And I guess at one point there at NBC News, there was a report even that said that Russia could have been a suspect in this. There was all sorts of mobile phone data that they were using that placed Russian intelligence officers that were working on this type of technology in the same place as other CIA officers who were affected by this. So they became a player in this as well. I've spoken to a lot of these diplomats and other government employees who were affected by this. And some of them, as you point out, have basically made a full recovery. The effects were short term. Others report to this day ongoing problems with cognition, with balance, with memory and headaches, that kind of a thing. What doctors saw on advanced imaging of the brain was consistent with what we call mild traumatic brain injury, also known as concussion. But the pattern, what they call the constellation of symptoms, is something doctors really have never seen before. The types of changes they were seeing in the brain and the pattern of it. And now when a diplomat overseas complains of an incident like this, they're able to take the scans of their brains, compare them to the confirmed cases, and see whether or not it's consistent with that or whether they might be suffering from any one of a million other reasons that we all get headaches or could have other types of injuries to the body or the brain. 
The U.S. government has only confirmed that there have been cases that have happened in Cuba and one in China. But we know that the government has gone to fairly great lengths throughout this process over the last four years to keep a lid on a lot of this publicly, to not acknowledge new cases until they're absolutely forced to. And so, as you point out, we do now have reports of cases, people who have complained of similar incidents and symptoms in about a half a dozen other countries, frankly, including here in the U.S., including in the U.K. and Poland, and also in Russia, where, as you point out, we reported a couple of years ago that the U.S. intelligence community believed that Moscow was the most likely culprit, due in part to the fact that they are known to have worked on these kinds of technologies for many decades now. So, I mean, what are the implications of this if they're targeting diplomats? You have to be really, really careful before you go ahead and accuse a foreign nation, particularly in a nuclear armed adversary of something as egregious as beaming American citizens with brain damaging microwaves. The potential diplomatic implications there are very profound, but there have been other theories that have emerged that people have taken a close look at, including the fact that the sound that these diplomats heard, I in 2017 obtained a recording of the sound that was taken by diplomats while they were in Cuba, uh, basically as this was happening to them, and it was starting to spread in the community that this was happening, one of them took out a tape recorder and recorded it. We published that sound, and a lot of folks who took a look at that said that it was very similar to a certain type of cicada. And there have also been questions about whether, including from some psychiatrists and others, about whether the diplomats might have been suffering from what doctors refer to as mass psychogenic illness in layman's terms, basically mass hysteria, that you have diplomats, you know, they're away from home, they're serving in this tight-knit community in Havana where they're surrounded by a lot of foreign environment and, and that these kinds of fears can spread from one person to another where basically you hear that your neighbor, your fellow employee at the embassy heard some strange sound and is feeling headaches and then a few days later you hear something kind of off and you start to wonder, well, is that the sound? And you say, (laughs) well, gee, my head has kind of been hurting. Maybe that's what's happening. But the doctors who have actually examined these patients and looked at their brain scans have said repeatedly, including in peer-reviewed studies that have been published in the Journal of American Medicine, Medical Association and elsewhere, that what has happened to these people's brains cannot be faked. You cannot make up in your head some of what they are seeing on brain scans. What does the report recommend to do in the future when we hear about other attacks like this. And beyond that, also, I was also reading in your article that the some lawmakers in the latest defense authorization bill were saying, well, we need to help some of these diplomats, people that were affected by this, just kind of ongoing help with any long lasting effects that they might have from this as well. So the scientists who wrote this report are basically pleading with the government to take this more seriously and be more proactive. The report specifically recommends that the State Department create some type of a response mechanism when they have incidents in in the future uh, that allows new cases to be studied much more quickly and effectively. Now, the State Department says they already have basically a process in place to do that. But there have also been these concerns about whether these employees who have been affected by this are being adequately taken care of, particularly ones who say, look, I was with my family. I heard this exact thing. I have all the symptoms, but the government, for whatever reason, is telling me I'm not a case. And so I am not then eligible for workers' comp or other benefits to try to have medical care for that. And so there's been legislation from Senator Gene Shaheen of New Hampshire in the U.S. Senate that has been joined by several other senators who are also calling for additional legislation for the federal government to make sure that there are 
adequate resources in place to make sure that these diplomats and importantly, their family members who may have been affected get the very best care they possibly can. Josh Letterman, national political reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive.